This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. And we're back. Welcome to Glove Fist. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer. Joined by co-host Jack Hirsch, former six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association of America. It is Labor Day night. The summer is over. The autumn leaves are going to be turning brown. And I can't, Jack, I can't believe how fast the summer's over. At the end of the show, we're going to give our picks. We're going to talk boxing. We're going to talk about a couple fights happening this weekend. We're going to look at a couple fights down the road. So it's kind of, it's going to be a potpourri of different things. But, Jack, I hope you had a great summer. I did. The only thing I like about the summer ending, and I don't like that, is it means football begins i know you're a big football fan as am i as is mac and we all have different teams to root for so i'm sure we'll mix some of that in but i hate to see the summer go jack i really do i do also and frank my reflexes are slower a topic we could have talked about i didn't even think about until this moment fights in outdoor ballparks we didn't get any this summer not in the united states None. Remember that used to be the big thing. Yankee Stadium, the Polo Grounds, even yep. Shea Stadium out in Los Angeles. We don't get that anymore, fights and ballparks. But you know what, Jack? We had two good fights this summer. So I'll remember it as the summer we got Inui and Fulton. And we got the big fight that everybody's been wanting to see for four, maybe five years. And Crawford and Spence, it was a little bit of a letdown. But I mean... The next month doesn't really shape up that good. What we have to look forward to, we have Canelo and Charlo coming up. And I'm interested to see the Zhang-Joe Joyce rematch in a couple of weeks. We'll touch on that as the fight gets closer. But, I mean, there's a little intrigue there. And it kind of fits on what we're going to talk about later. A fight that went one way and then rematches went the, the other way. Like we saw with the Eubank-Smith fight this past weekend. So, we both saw the fight. What do you, th what'd you think? Uh, great performance by Chris Eubank. Let's give him full credit. After he stopped Liam Smith, I kept seeing all over where Liam Smith must have been hurt. This must have been wrong with him. That must have been wrong with him. I don't want to hear it after the fact. Eubank was brilliant the way he put his punches together. That was the best Chris Eubank I ever saw. Is Eubank a world beater? No. There's too much of a body of work over his whole career to believe he's a completely changed man. He's not. But to get stopped in four rounds against Liam Smith and to enter the ring as confident as he was and to be as effective as he was, putting the combinations together with such, you know, precision, and he was cool, he was calculated, yeah, a masterful performance. by Jack, Smith. I love I how he figured it out. I give him an okay. A plus how he performed last Saturday. I like how Ubank and, and, and Bo Mack figured out how to land on Smith to use the uppercut and then loop that right hand around his, his tight guard. Um, look, he as you said, he fought a great fight. I think the first fight, Jack, was a total anomaly. I think Smith, it was Smith's best night catching Ubank on his worst night. The only thing Smith has gone for him is bravery, but in the end, it took Eubank 10 rounds to knock out a guy, Jack, that's basically maybe he's a little better than a club fighter, but you know what? No, There's no, a huge no, 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 Frank, Frank, he's, he's more than a club fighter, more than a gatekeeper. He's not elite Liam Smith, but very good, solid fighter. Give him credit for beating Eubank the first time around. I think I'm he caught him on his worst him. night, Jack. I, I don't think Smith is much more than a club fighter. That's oh, just that's, me. That's my opinion. That's, that's a little harsh. We could debate okay. that. Okay. But somebody can make a huge payday fighting Eubank in the UK. They had 40, 43,000 people there watching it. 
Um, and, and Jack also Smith, you know what? He better be careful not to take too many more beatings because he took a lot of punches and he's lucky that Eubank is, Eubank is not a big puncher. Yeah, Frank, after the fight, Eubank called out Triple G. He's been calling out Triple G for a while. We know what Triple G is now, and he's a faded force. He's way past his peak, Triple G, not just a little past his peak, not just a declining fighter, way past his peak. If this was Triple G at his zenith, Chris Eubank wouldn't be calling him out. Chris Eubank might say, oh, I'd be interested in fighting Triple G. That is as far as it would go. But now everyone calls out their Triple Gs. Everyone calls out the Lomachenkos. Shakur Stevenson, I don't have any doubts, would be willing to fight a peak Lomachenko, but he wouldn't be calling him out as vigorously as he has. And that's what happens when these iconic fighters like Triple G and Lomachenko start declining. And, uh, Manny Pacquiao put him in that category at the end of his career. Everyone wants to fight these guys at that time. But when they're at the absolute zenith, they don't show that type of enthusiasm. Jack, I think I would still take Triple G to beat Eubank. Even now, I don't think so. Triple G. I think, I, I think, I mean, to me, it's a tough fight to call, but I would, I would go with Triple G. I think he could, I think he'd wear him down. Okay. So it makes it, an, it makes it a viable fight. But the point I'm trying to make is if this was Triple G in his prime at his very best, do you think Eubank would keep calling him out above all other fighters? Keep Probably not. Probably, Probably exactly. not. Jack, something else happened in the fight. What's that? Or I Frank? should say, Pepsi or what? Iced tea. I mean, what do you have there? It's vodka with a little <laughs> um, peach schnapps okay. and a little coke. Okay, you know they do a little drug testing for our show. <laughs> you know, you well, it's not a drug. Off. If you're off the air next week and get suspended. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Anyhow, it's my own concoction. Anyhow, like Panama Lewis when he was in the corner with Aaron Fry against Alexis and Dwayne. Yeah, but if it was that Jack, I'd be buzzing all over the room. Anyhow, there was a there was a little controversy about the fight because, as we know, Terence Crawford's trainer Brian Bomack McIntyre trained Eubank. And I guess it's not a coincidence that maybe Eubank has not looked this good in years, and we have to give Bomax some credit there. But what happened was, on the way home, he was stopped at the airport, and he had a loaded gun, and now supposedly he's going to have to stay in the U.K. at least until 9, until he gets a hearing. And look, I don't know much about the law and gun laws or anything like that, but from what I've read on social media, this is a pretty big deal. And he could be looking at doing some time there and think of the ripple effect that has on so many things down the road. Yeah, I mean, I heard there was something in his luggage. More has to come out because a lot of rumors take place what exactly happened. Something did happen. We know that, okay? And it seems to be a serious matter. What Bomac might have going in his favor is he's maybe a mini celebrity. He's Chris Eubanks. Trainer. He's obviously Terrence Crawford's trainer. So uh, Terrence Crawford, the fighter, would have a certain pull behind the scenes, maybe with certain politicians from his home state in Nebraska, where Bomack is from and where Bomack's trained many fighters. So maybe something gets worked out. But if that's true, Bomack had a loaded gun, in his, even in his luggage or whatever, what an idiotic thing to do. I mean, why, and why didn't they pick it up on the way there if he brought it there? I mean, maybe he thought if it's in his luggage, it's not on him. Okay, sometimes people don't think he may have been feeling, well, I'm not carrying it onto the plane, I'm no threat, it's in my luggage. I mean, sometimes people don't think, I hope it, I, I can't believe. Bomack had any ill intents? Why did he have a gun altogether? I mean, I just want to hear more, and I hope. I mean, maybe he carries a lot of cash on him, and he feels like he's, you know, susceptible to being robbed. I hope there's a reasonable explanation, okay, of why he would be 
you know, what he was thinking, at least. I mean, for that. For yeah, that he's not a threat to hijack or terrorism or anything like that. So I hope he can somehow get find a loophole to get out of it so it doesn't change things that we care about in the boxing world. I mean, I have no I have no doubt that he was he wasn't going to hurt anybody or that he was a threat, but it is still illegal. Yeah, let's, but let's think about but Jack. Well, how does that affect? Think about this though. It just came out this week that that Earl Spence has activated the rematch clause to fight Terence Crawford. Now we don't. We're not sure where. We're not sure what weight or when. But it looks like it's pretty pretty much set that they're going to fight again, and they're going to fight next. Nobody's going to have a, a fight in between. Frank, what I'm if Terence Crawford can't have Bomac? I'm working on a story now. Why Errol Spence, what he needs to win the rematch with Terence Crawford. Now, everyone is dismissing Errol Spence's chances, but consider this, Frank. Before they, before their first fight, it was virtually 50-50. You and I picked Crawford, but we didn't pick Crawford with complete confidence. We I'm the biggest Crawford, Crawford fan in the world, and I didn't think it was a lot. Yeah, you, you were kind of hedging a little bit before you settled on Crawford. I picked Crawford to stop Spence in 12 rounds, and I said it was going to be one of the great fights maybe in boxing history. I thought it would be an absolute thriller. I Very said, Jack, I thought that too. And, and it didn't, and it turned out to be one side. I, be I thought because of the style clash, it would be a great fight. I've always felt that Crawford was better, but I'll admit, when it got closer, I, I you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, not admit that you know I I, I kind of had a little bit a little bit of doubt here, but I also thought that because of what was on the line that we would see the best Crawford we ever did. But I just didn't think it would be that overwhelming. Now, what were you saying about a rematch? Um, but with the rematch, I want to say some things that Spence needs to work in his favor, and if he can thread the needle, and all of these things could work in his favor, he actually would have a chance of winning the rematch. I'm not going to pick him. Don't get me wrong. I'll go on record right now. I'm absolutely picking Crawford in the rematch, but I don't think it's beyond, you know, the realm of comprehension to think that Spence could actually win. First off, the rematch would have to be fought at 154 instead of 147. Maybe Spence was weight drained and we didn't know about it because he said he wasn't going to make up any excuses and he didn't. To his credit, he made up no excuses after the fight. But so maybe Crawford might be better at 154 too. And he might, but then again, he might not. But let's say Spence really was weight drained. And now he wouldn't be weight drained at 154. That's one. Two, he needs to fight in AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, the place he beat Mikey Garcia, Danny Garcia, Yugos, you know, where he's performed brilliantly. So he needs that home advantage, okay? Is and Micah Parsons going to go in the ring with him? Uh, no, but but the home advantage would pump him up. It would pump okay. him up. And maybe Crawford fighting on enemy territory might try a little too hard to get rid of Spence, and he might his fight plan might be a little off-base. Okay, another point. The Mike Tyson syndrome. Everyone has a plan until they get hit. It's easy to forget Spence was winning the fight too late in the second round till he got hit. It was a flash knockdown, but one punch completely turned everything around. From then on, Spence started waiting, and he was no longer jabbing, no longer boxing. He was going toe-to-toe, -to -toe and Crawford picked him apart until he stopped him. So now, let me, give you the let me give you the counter to that. In a rematch, Crawford won't wait the first round out and he might just go after him this time and not wait him out like he did in the first fight. But so that's the counter to argument to that. But let me recount to you, Crawford always fights this time. Why would he go after Spence and try to knock him out early as history? But is this is the first time he will ever have a rematch, Jack. So he might, he might change his style. How do you count to this? Crawford's going to be overconfident. He'll, he'll be in physical shape. He'll put in the work because he's a pro he he wasn't overconfident for the first fight. For the first fight, he was supremely confident, but not overconfident. There's a difference, Frank. And I think Jack, to me, that's have... yeah. To me, that's the best point because I think of all the things that you said, 
assuming Bo Mack is with Crawford, let's just assume that for the for this argument. I do think there is a possibility, and I've said this before. Look, what Crawford's mindset for that fight was the same mindset that Smoke and Joe had going into the first fight with Ali. It's the same mindset that Duran had going into the first fight with Leonard. It was the fight that their whole career rode on, and they had to win, and they knew if they won, it could never be taken away from them. And incidentally, neither Frazier nor Duran, they both had some good nights after that, but they never were that great again. And I'm not sure that Crawford, Jack, at least against Spence, because of the overconfident factor and the way he handled him, I don't think he can be I don't think he can be better than he was the last time. Maybe more confident, but I, I don't know if he can be quite on point that much. So to me, that's probably the biggest thing that Craw that Spence has going for him because I don't know if Crawford can ever be that high again, at least for him. Okay. So you're saying so you're you're seeing a little daylight for Spence right now. Now it came out. Spence, it looks like he's going to have a new trainer that he's going to move on from Derek James. Those are the rumors that he's either going to be with Roy Jones or Calvin Ford, Hank Davis's trainer. So he's going to probably have a little bit of a new look. Could that help him? Odds are not, but you never know how things could be tweaked. And it, just the idea he's considering Roy Jones is major because according to Roy Jones, Errol Spence wouldn't shake his hand before the Crawford fight because Jones had picked Crawford to beat Errol Spence. I, re I read now that. He, now he's bringing in a guy who thought he wasn't going to, you know, do well against Crawford. And he's working with Roy Jones. Say what you want about Roy. If you listen to him completely, he's got a very sharp boxing mind. And Calvin Ford, you got to give him credit with the job he's done with Tank Davis. You got to give him a lot of credit because Tank boxes very well, very smart, very calm. And no knock on Derek James, who did a good job with Errol Spence throughout his career. Very good job. But, may, but now Spence wants to give it a new look. Jack, whenever a fighter loses a big fight that's undefeated, they always try to tweak it because they think that they missed something or something went wrong and they want to change their look. Look, if he wants to go with Calvin Ford, I'm good with that. I'm not crazy about Roy Jones being a great trainer. And a lot of that is, Jack, and this is a little bit of an issue I have. When I look at guys like Roy Jones and Muhammad Ali, guys that were just so gifted, I just think there is a fundamental of boxing sometimes that they miss because they never had to depend on that. And if you look at Ali and you look at Jones, what happened when they got old and they weren't lightning fast anymore? They both took a beating. The difference was Ollie had a great chin. He didn't get knocked out where Roy did. Then when I look at fighters like Tony and Holmes, as they got older, their game evolved and they still didn't take much punishment because they learned fundamental defense, something that Roy nor Ali ever had. So I'm not big on Roy being a trainer because Jack, I just think he was so overwhelmingly physically talented and gifted that I don't think he really ever learned all the fundamental things about boxing where he could pass it on and he can't pass his genes on. So I'm not big on that. Roy fought nothing like Earl Spence. I don't think that's a good match, but I can see the Tank Davis correlation being a southpaw and maybe if he can teach Earl had a backup encounter a little bit because when, when when Crawford pushed him back, Spence had no answers. Okay, I see a point there. When Roy Jones fell off the cliff, he really fell quickly. Certain once it, once the physical genes were gone and, and, and the athleticism, he was done. Well, it happened with Wilfred Benitez too. And Benitez was a master boxer, but once he lost his, you know, his physical being, he couldn't compensate. But that is... That, but you make a good point. Okay, another thing working in Spencer's favor. We glorified Jake LaMotta for not going down against Sugar Ray Robinson. You couldn't put me down, Ray. You couldn't put me down, Raging Bull. Guess what? 
Crawford, well, Crawford did put Spence down three times, but at the end of the fight, Spence did finish on his feet. And who knows how much longer he could have stayed on his feet. I mean, chances are Crawford would have stopped him by the next I don't round. think he gets out of that round, Jack. I don't think it's that ninth round. But, but, but he was on his feet when they st stepped in. And there's a good chance he finishes the ninth round on his feet. It, they, it, it's fortunate they stopped it then. They should have stopped it earlier. But he showed he could st stand up to Crawford's punches for the most part. Okay? I mean, at least he can has the durability to take them. What about the underdog syndrome, Frank? Uh, if Spence can hold Crawford somewhat close in some of those rounds, would the judges maybe get a little excited if the fight's in Texas and maybe score some rounds for Spence? We've seen strange things happen. Like the I mean, Jack, that... Go ahead. Canelo and Triple G. We know Canelo won the rubber match widely, yet they had it seven rounds to five. Well, three judges. Jack, when it comes to the judges, I, I don't ever want to try to predict which way they're going to go. But I do have to disagree with you when you, you, you think that, that Spence proved he could take Crawford's punches. I don't, Jack. Crawford put him down with a jab. He put him down with three different – he put him down with a jab, a counter hook, and I'm not sure what the third one was. But uh, to me, it looked like whenever Crawford really hit him clean, he hurt him and Spence had to bail and get out of there. So, And I think that would be a big problem in a rematch. I really think it would be one of those ones where it would be, here we go again. Okay, Frank. I, and, I, and I think for Spence, Jack, I think that's a huge mountain to overcome. Frank, speaking of a mount to overcome, is it possible in the back of Spence's mind, he's thinking this is a two-fight deal. He could beat me this fight. I'll get him the next time. I got two fights. I just have to beat him one out of the two. And maybe okay. he didn't take the first fight like with a feeling of desperation the way Crawford did. I have to beat him because we... It's the second fight that people basically are going to remember. That's what they're going to go on a little more so than even the first fight. And maybe he had that in his back pocket, the thought, well, it's a two-fight deal. He beats me. I mean, I get a rematch. I'm guaranteed of fighting him again. All right, Jack. Let me give you my 99% theory on that, okay? Before I do that, just answer this question succinctly and briefly do you who do you, who do you think took a worse beating alexis aguayo against prior the first time or spence against crawford oh spence not even close spence took a worse beating okay oh, by far by far i don't think aguayo took a beating against uh prior in the first fight not it was more of a 50 50 fight to the end Close. Pryor was a okay. little bit ahead, but it was okay. Yeah. Here's my point, Jack, and this is what I mean about the 99% theory. I believe after the prior Aguayo fight ended, when all was said and done, I think Aguayo processed. I don't think I had a bad night, and I don't think he had a great night. I think he can beat me. I'm 99% sure he can beat me. But I have 1% of belief that maybe, maybe I can beat him. So I'm going to go at it and do it again with him. And when they fought the second time, if you remember, Aguayo looked at the referee, sat on the canvas, and, and got counted out looking at the referee. To me, Jack, at that moment, that's when Pryor took Arguello's last 1% where Arguello could go on the rest of his life and, and just accept the fact, okay, I can't beat him. I think Spence goes into the rematch against Crawford with 1%, 1% of doubt, and that's big. Even You think it's not big, but it is big because he has 1% belief where he'll go at it again. So to me, when they fight a rematch, 
it's going to come down to how long does it take Crawford to take that last percent? So I think that's what Spence is fighting. I think he has 1% belief that he can beat him, but I think most of his heart, Jackie, believes he's a better guy, or at least he, he's my Ken Norton. He has my number. Yeah, I, listen, I want, to make, I want to make myself clear. Without a, I feel without a doubt, Crawford. No, I know you're playing devil's that. advocate. I'm I know just, that. I'm just looking for a certain path. As far as Aguayo and Fryer went, I think Aguayo felt until the knockout, he was the better fight and he was going to win the fight. I think mentally he was the, uh, Alexis Aguayo of his peak, okay? Because he was taking it to Fryer. He even stung him the round before. But when you suffer that type of devastating knockout the way he did in the 14th round there, it's hard to come back from that. It's really hard to come back from that. And that had never happened to Aguayo before. And had, had by some chance, had Aguayo taken prior out the round before, and then they had a rematch, Aguayo would have done a heck of a lot better because mentally he would have been better. He wasn't going to go down in the first round of a rematch the way he did. Mentally, you know, you're not the same. It depends on whether fighters taking a beating. And it also, it, I mean, it's hard to find an example to make a case for Spence in boxing history. And the examples that you might give, Frank, I know won't apply, I think. Just like I can't give a good example that's going to apply. You might say, well, look at Lewis Schmeling. First up, Lewis, everyone knew was the better fighter. Lewis took a beating in the first fight. He knocked him out in the round in the rematch. Lewis Schmeling wasn't, they weren't on the same level. It was, a, you know, it was just Schmeling's night. He gave him a beating and Lewis was able to come back. I mean, Lewis was on the golf course, Jack. He, he, he wasn't in tip, top shape. Schmeling studied him. You know, we all know the story about bringing the left low and him coming over with the right hand. But since you brought that fight up, Jack, I think in the history of boxing, as far as rematches go, everybody talks about strategy and style and adjustments. I think in the rematch between Schmeling and Lewis, I think the one adjustment that Jack Blackburn implored Lewis to do is one of the best um, technical adjustments ever made in the big fight because Blackburn said you got to crowd him and get inside and take away his right hand and smother it so you can get yours off. And what happened? Lewis came out, went right to him, didn't give Schmeling the room to throw that right hand. He crowded it, and then he got his tight right hand inside and just took Schmeling apart. Right, right. But how many fighters in boxing history got completely dominated. I don't mean knocked out with one punch. I mean, was beaten badly round after round after round and then turned it around in the rematch. I mean, I could give you a lower level example. Mike Rossman stops Victor Galendez. But Galendez really was a better fighter than Rossman. And Rossman is in Terrence Crawford, for example. I mean, even though it was a, a fine fighter, there's no one quite like, hardly anyone, I should say, who you could compare to Terrence Crawford. And, you know, you get something like Bo Holofield and Holofield winning the rematch, but Holofield was competitive in the first fight he lost. Patterson Johansson, it wasn't a beatdown. Patterson got caught a punch. He never recovered from it, went down seven times. It wasn't a round after round beatdown. I mean, Crawford beat the stuffing out of Spence round after round after round. So, and it's hard to find another case in boxing history where an elite champion to, in his prime, you know, supposedly took that type of beating and then was able to reverse the result in a rematch. You know, on my page, Mark Kerwin, he, he came up with two good examples because he saw we are going to talk about that, and I just looked at it. Ken Norton lost to Jose Luis Garcia the first time. Got worked over a little bit and stopped. Came back and stopped him. How about Klitschko against Brewster? Jose Luis Garcia, um, I thank the Post for that thought. 
that was early in Norton's career before he fought Ali. Hardly anyone heard of Ken Norton. Jack, he was, it was like his 22nd fight. Yeah, but he, he, hadn't, he, he hadn't fought Ali yet. Ken Norton wasn't a rated fighter at the time, okay? And then when he beat him in a rematch, he it's after he fought Ali and... and it's five years that? later. He lost in 70 and beat him in 75. Fought. Yeah, it, but that... Not, but that okay, not, all right, that's not an example. All right, I know, take no, it easy. I understand, I understand the example, but Norton was so much better than him. But I can understand the example. Norton took a bit of a beating in that fight. What's the second one? Klitschko against Brewster. Klitschko and Brewster. Klitschko did not take a beating. Brewster was on the verge of getting stopped. Yeah, and he then Klitschko ran out of gas. Some punches. It wasn't a beatdown. If if Brewster took command early in the fight and he just beat on Klitschko all fight and then stopped him, okay, we can maybe talk about it. But we, but I'm talking about a beatdown that happened round after round after round, like the first Lewis Schmeling fight. That was a beatdown. Okay, round. I mean, from the fourth round on, Schmeling basically batted Lewis until he stopped him in round 12. You don't think, I guess I wouldn't consider Holyfield Bo won a beatdown, no. but there were points in that fight where Bo was really working him over. No, no, but, but it went to 12 rounds. Holyfield had moments, even though Bo won the fight clearly on points. And we, you know, we figured Bo was going to win the rematch, and the rematch was very close. The whole field, it wasn't the most dramatic of turnarounds. It was a nice uh, turnaround by Holyfield, but it, it wasn't like he turned the tables completely on. No, the I picked Holyfield to win the first two fights, and I went one and one. Yeah, so. Uh, you know, it's hard. These beatings take a lot out of fighters. You know, I'd like to talk about Ali and Ernie Terrell. You know, one of the best performances of Ali's career was in the Ernie Terrell fight, but unfortunately that gets overshadowed with the what's-my-name nonsense that people like to talk about. I like to focus on Ali's brilliance in the ring that night. He was magnificent, and that was a great version of Ernie Terrell, a peak version, yet the peak version of Ernie Terrell loses 13 of the 15 rounds. Yeah, they they were just on different leagues. Oh, yeah, well, but Terrell was a great fight in his own right, but he was going against arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time that night, arguably. But then six months later, the WBA heavyweight tournament, and Terrell gets uh, stopped. I mean, that Spencer. points by that Spencer. That never would have happened. The night Terrell fought Ali. The Terrell at Fort Ali absolutely beats that version of Spencer, but mentally it took so much out of him. Do you think the same applies to Mac Foster after he lost to Quarry? He was never the uh, same. No. He wasn't anything going into the fight, Frank. He knocked out every opponent he fought, but he fought a bunch of even no names or fighters who are past their peak. Like an old Manuel Ramos, guys like that, right? Right, right. exactly. I mean, this is so rare for a fighter to take the type of beatdown that Spence took and then be able to come back. Because we're talking about a beatdown that took place round after round after round. Crawford left no doubt as far as to his superiority. No doubt at all. And... Um, and you try to look back on boxing history to make a case. But what's working against Spence is this. Crawford's a great, great fighter, arguably an all-time great. And it took the Spence fight. And we've never seen Crawford in a rematch, so we don't know how he, how he adjusts. Yeah, I mean, and the Mayweather haters, Laterzo amongst them, are now already putting Crawford above Mayweather, saying that Crawford would have beaten Mayweather. Jack, I'm not a Mayweather hater. I call it the way I see it. Okay? I'm having fun with you, Frank. I'm I know that. I know that. But let me just make my point. Crawford is a superior fighter to Mayweather. And head-to-head, -head, he would beat him, in my opinion. We'll never know. I think he's had the more impressive career 
Remember, you know, nobody, no one talks about the fact that Crawford has never even gone to a split decision. He's never Crawford's had a close fight. Right. He he's never had a close fight. People forget about the close calls that Mayweather had. But I kind of wondered, I was, I was in Las Vegas for a fight with Sean Porter, who he stopped in the 10th round. At the end of nine rounds, it was a close fight. It was. What happened? And, you know, and Sean Porter later said mentally he really just wasn't quite there. Maybe it was just talk. Maybe mentally he was there and he just was talking after the fight. But he never. In Crawford's mind, after. Jack, if you remember, he didn't think it was that close. It was when his, the corner told him. It's, it's closer than you think, and that's when he came out and raised the rent. See, I also think Crawford is one of those guys that does fight to the level of his opponent for a while before he becomes that, that killer, that assassin. And I think that was the case in the Porter fight. I think it's in Crawford's personality to take his time, not to panic, not to worry. He yes. does that in negotiating for fights. He's... He waited well into his career for the Spence fight. It nearly didn't happen. Without no, he's made, he's, made, he's made good moves, Jack, in and he, out of the ring. He took his time. But, but one of the things that could be working against Crawford's legacy, he's going to be 36 soon, isn't he, Frank? I, mean, I think he, in a couple of days. Yeah. I, and in the past, that's when fighters would be slipping. Is Crawford necessarily going to – be on the same level in three or four years from now? I, mean, I don't think so. 40 years old. So at what point does he, you know, start losing? And also, Teddy Brenner, the great matchmaker, the garden, used to say, never fully evaluate a fighter's career until he retires. In the case of Terrence Crawford, we could say, oh, he's on a level of Sugar Ray Robinson, Tommy Hearns, and the four kings. Let's put him in there as a fifth king. But I'll tell you, Frank, if he fights Boots Innes and he loses, which is, you know, arguably that could happen, he's not a fifth king. I'm sorry, Frank. And I don't want to hear, well, he's better than Mayweather, this and that. For Crawford to truly stamp himself as an all-time great, he's got to continue to win the way he's been winning, and he's got to do it against the best available All right, opponent. Jack, wait a second. Okay. So if Crawford were to lose a decision to Boots, that knocks him out of being the fifth king. Is that what you said? I didn't necessarily put him with the four kings. You did. Okay. Frank. I think potentially. All right, but it would end any conversation that he belonged. Uh, he'd have to reignite it later on. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. At age 36, Sugar Ray Leonard was a punching bag for Terry Norris. Doesn't hurt his his legacy. At age 30, let me finish. Tommy Hearns was knocked out by Iran Barkley. Didn't hurt him. At 35, Napoli's lost to Tyler Stracy. Griffith lost to Durant to Jose Duran and Anna Fermo at 36. Gavilan lost four or five times after age 32. Duran at 31 lost to Kirkland Lang. Whitaker at 30 lost three. After 30, lost three times. And Pacquiao, after 30, lost five times. So Crawford, if he gets beat at age 36 after being champ for nine years and winning 18 fights, that's the fight that's just going to kill his legacy? It'll kill his legacy if he loses at this point in time. If Crawford continues winning in the next three years, I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say he fights Canelo next. Okay, Canelo beats Charlo, let's say hypothetically, he says, sure, I'll fight you, but you got to come up to my weight and Crawford says, no problem. And he beats Canelo. Okay. And then after that, he fights at the catch weight, he fights Boots, he beats him, continues to win the next three years. And then at age 39, he gets upset and then he loses a couple of fights after that. It doesn't hurt his legacy at that point because he would have made his mark. Now you compare him to the other greats, Crawford's opponents over his career on balance aren't on the same level of Emil Griffith. I have no problem if you say he's a greater welterweight than Emil Griffith was. I have no problem with you saying I'm not going to say that. No, no, but if, but if anyone else said it. Okay, fine. I'm not going to argue. Crawford 
a great fighter, okay? An all-time great, you could say that, fine. But I don't want to, I think we got to kind of reserve judgment as far as comparing him to the other great sugar Ray. Jack, Leonard. I will do that. Uh, let me Ray ask you this, though. He had, by the time he fought Terry Norris, all the inactivity over the years had basically caught up to him. Sugar Ray Leonard Jack is a rare case because in a short period of time and because there were so many greats around, like Ali, he had the opponents. But let me ask you this. Let's change it. What if Crawford, let's just say Bo Mack has to do time in the UK and Crawford comes out and says, I'm never going into the ring again unless Bo Mack is in my corner. Therefore, I'm going to have to retire because I, I can't have my trainer anymore, so I'm done. Where does he rate, and, he, and, and is he a fifth king that, then? No, I would rate him then marginally ahead, career-wise and everything, ahead of Andre Ward and Joe Calzaghe, who I'm not knocking them for retiring when they did, but they didn't push their career to the limits again and have the ultimate fights to push their legacy over the top as all-time greats i'm talking about pound for pound i'm not talking about super middleweight division obviously right one two in the super middleweight division but the super middleweight division doesn't have that long rich history to talk about it's not like one two of all time in the middleweight division I put the Crawford a little ahead of Andre Ward and Joe Calzaghe, and I would have to leave it there if he never fought again. I, I couldn't put him ahead of Sugar Ray Leonard. No, no, but does he sit at the same table though? He can get a he can get a ride on their bus. Yeah, sure. The bus uh, he'll get a seat in the bus, and if he goes to the middle of the bus at the all-time greats and says, "Hey, is anyone sitting there?" and they have him sit there, I wouldn't. I don't think anyone would get uptight and say, "Okay, no, no, go I, to the Jack, back, go to the back and get off." I can live with that. I will not say I can't rate him above Hearns or Leonard or Duran. But I think he's he, he he is he's the closest we've seen since those guys. And if he loses at it, it, it age thirty six, after winning eighteen fights, eighteen title fights, fifteen by knockout, unifying two divisions in an era where it's hard to do, I think he's earned his right there. When I look at their records, I don't see many guys who they beat that I'd make him an underdog against. Leonard had a couple guys, but I just think that Crawford is that special, that great. And we'll I see. Agree. I, I think he is. I think he is, but he did, hasn't had these big fights, okay, over his career. You know, he's, it's more, he's been doing more in quantity. I mean, the guys he's been fighting, I mean, like the Hank Lundy's, you know, guys like that. You know, long. The only thing I can say that Jack is none of them have given him a fight, and that's the best. That's all he can do. He's shown that he's outclassed them all. It's not like he struggled. So to me, that that kind of offsets that a little bit, and it makes me think that he's he's made these guys look ordinary because he's so good, and nobody else has defeated them like he has. Frank, if there was a tournament, uh, eight guys about Crawford's weight, the best in history, you know, at his weight, let's say welterweight. And you and I, you know, were stuck with a ticket and we had to pick it out and we got Crawford's ticket. We wouldn't be complaining. We'd think we had a real chance of cashing in. Even with a Sugar Ray Leonard there, we'd think we had a, a genuine chance, you know, of him, Crawford winning that tournament. All I'll say is this, Jack, as far as welterweights go in history from what I've known. If I go back from Kid Gavilon was the next welterweight champion after Robinson. So we're not going to talk about Crawford and Robinson, but from Kid Gavilon to today, I think Crawford, I mean, I, he, he is as great as anyone. He's on the level. What I, is he in head of Leonard? No, Hearns. No, I can't put him ahead of uh, Griffith or Rodriguez, but I do think he's in their class and 
you know, well, I wouldn't you know, be surprised. You know, I'd like his chances head to head against those guys. He doesn't have the body of work. If he fought a Louis Rodriguez, who was a great fighter, I mean, I would go with Crawford to actually win the fight. But these guys like Rodriguez. That's funny. I'm not sure I would. Well, well, they were so masterful. They would give Crawford absolute fits, you know. Crawford would have wound up being a better fighter if he had those guys in his career because he would have had to take his game up a level just to win those fights, okay? He wouldn't be able to show his level of constant dominance, you know? He would actually be losing rounds in these fights before, you know, prevailing if he did indeed prevail. Let me just say this on Crawford. and I'll, All I'll say is this. Of the last 20 or so years, it seems that Mayweather and Whitaker are at the top when it comes to pound-for-pound fighters. And I just think that Crawford is better than both and would have beat both. Whitaker at his best, I am not sure about style-wise. Crawford would have an awfully hard time hitting Whitaker. And Whitaker could make it look very boring and maybe stay on the outside and, you know, See, I think Crawford could go get him. And I think he has two good hands, not just one. And he's just quick and he hits much harder. We're talking, we're not talking about the welterweight Pennell Whitaker. So the welterweight Pennell Whitaker, Crawford absolutely beats. I'm talking about if they fought at 35, 40, or 47. Yeah, the Whitaker, that was a lightweight. But listen, it's a good argument. What's bothering me a little bit about Crawford now, just a little bit, is how dismissive he is of Boots Ennis. He's saying Boots brings nothing to the table. If I lose to him, I lose everything. If I beat him, I get no credit at all. So I'm a loser no matter Did he what. say anything yeah. wrong there? No, no, no. But listen to this. Nothing wrong as long as his next fight is against a name opponent. It's got to be a big name opponent. If he fights a guy with lower stature than Boots Ennis, that shows me he's kind of ducking boots, kind of ducking. It doesn't, I'm not saying he's scared of him, but kind of avoiding him. I don't want to take a risk with this guy. Okay, how about this? That, turns, that would turn me off. How about this? How about if he fights the winner of Mendoza and Zoo? Are you okay with that? I would only be okay with that. Because he's moving up to a new weight division, to 154. That's his first fight at 154. I give him a pass because he's thinking, okay, I don't want to make weight anymore with 147. I'm moving up to 154, and I could revisit boots at some point in the future. Then I'm okay, all, then so, okay with it. Okay, so he doesn't fight boots, but he fights either the Zoo Mendoza winner. You're good with that. If, if he fights the Charlo Canelo winner, you're good with that. Oh, yeah. Listen, especially if Canelo. Canelo wins. Crawford against Canelo is an absolute super fight. And he would be foolish to fight boots and bypass a, a, a mega fight like that. Because that's not only a, a super lucrative fight financially. That's a legacy fight. If he can move up to 160... And 168, whatever, and beat a megastar like Canelo. That's great. But I will say this, Frank, unlike you, if he moves up and he fights Canelo and Canelo stops Crawford or legitimately beats him, to me, that affects uh, Crawford's legacy. He does not, he's not given a free pass. Oh, fight Canelo, you got nothing to lose. It's a legacy fight. And, and that includes him losing as well. And if he beats Canelo, is he then a fourth, fifth king? Yes, yes. You you're not going to say Canelo was. You're not going to say that Canelo was on the decline, and that's why he won, and it was only a split decision. Well, well, well. Listen to this. Canelo will have to beat Jamel Charlo, who's an outstanding fighter. Outstanding fighter. So if Canelo legitimately beats Charlo, even if he's not the Canelo of old. He's closer to a prime Canelo than a faded Canelo. Okay, how's that? If he legitimately beats Charlo. And then if Crawford moves up in weight, takes that challenge and wins, 
certain fighters take these so-called challenges and they say, oh, I'm trying to make history. They only take it because there's nothing to lose. It's a big joke to me. Like an Amir Khan moves up to fight Canelo. Oh, what a bold move. What guts fight. Khan, that's no guts. That was a gutless move because he was avoiding guys like Kelbrook at the time. Guys in and around his weight figuring, look, I could move up. I got nothing to lose, you know. If, uh, if I get knocked out, my career doesn't suffer. But Crawford, I'm not giving him the free pass. He, he can't go in. Well, if I lose to Canelo, I went against a bigger guy. No one's going to hold it against me. I'm going to hold it against him. It's a legacy fight for him. You know, Sugar Ray Robinson moves up to light heavyweight. He loses to Joey Maxson. You don't hold it against Robinson. He dominated the fight collapsed in the heat after 13 rounds. Everyone could see Robinson was by far the superior fighter. But let's say it was a legitimate knockout. Let's say Maxim got the better of it all fight and then knocked Robinson out. We would hold it against Sugar Ray. I wouldn't want to hear, well, he was moving up in weight, so just give him a free Jack, pass. you would hold that against him. Robinson weighed 157 and Maxim was 173? You'd still hold that against him? I wouldn't. He's I not would, supposed I, to beat Maxim. Crawford's think, not supposed to beat Canelo. I think the weights, to a large degree, are overrated, Frank, the way we look at them. Uh, but 16 pounds? Deontay Wilder with Tyson Fury, I think in the first fight, if I'm not mistaken, we have to look it up, but I think I'm close, that Fury outweighed Wilder by something like 44 pounds. The idea that Wilder could knock down a guy weighing so much more than him, if he could do that, a guy 44 pounds more than him, why can't a lighter weight fighter give away 15 pounds? I don't but Jack, get it, Frank. Because, number one, Wilder is a gifted puncher. And once you're a heavyweight, once you're over 220 pounds, Jack, you know what? Those there's not a big difference in strength like there is some of these smaller guys. And 15 pounds between a guy 175 and a guy 160, that's a lot of that's a big difference. I know we we give heavyweights too much a pass and we don't consider the size difference. I remember Max Kellerman saying to me, Evander Holyfield's a better fighter than Lennox Lewis. The reason Lewis got the better of it in the two fights is because he's just a bigger guy. He has the physicality. No, Lewis got the better because he was he was longer, and he and 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 Holyfield couldn't get inside that jab. It had nothing to do with with um, Lennox Lewis's size. Yeah, I mean, size I disagree with Kellerman there. I disagree. Yeah, I mean, Holyfield guys, knocked out Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson that were big guys, and he pumbled George Foreman, who was 255 pounds and stronger than Lennox Lewis. Size was an issue there. Joe Lewis fights a guy like Abe Simon. In the first fight, it goes 13 rounds. Simon didn't have the skill to last with Lewis, but Lewis kept having to hit a big guy over and over. Sometimes you're in against a guy who's so much bigger than you, even as a heavyweight. You have to chop them down because of the size difference. Well, I, I think 15 pounds, Jack, when you get guys under 180 is pretty big. All right, we only have about seven minutes left. Let's change up. We were going to talk about some football players that became boxers, but you know what? There's only been a handful of them that really made it. Your buddy, Too Tall, I guess, I don't know if we could count him. Tex Cobb was never a pro uh, football player, but he played college ball. He had a pretty good career. And Norton, is it Ken Norton? Not, not junior. I mean, I'm talking about senior. He played in college, right, Frank? I'm not sure. He, he was yeah, Division he was, two, though, right? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a big time, you know, the way his son was. Charlie Powell played for the 49ers, and he had a decent career as a boxer. Fought Ali. I think he fought Patterson, too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not many. It's so hard to make the transition, Frank. Yes, it's you different know? strength completely. It's, it's just not the same. As you said, Tutal told you that. But look, let's have a little fun because there's not a whole lot of interesting boxing, Jack. The NFL season is going to start Thursday. College football started basically a week ago. I know you're a big Jets fan and you have false hopes about the Jets. I'm a Dolphins fan. I'm realistic. 
The Jets haven't won a championship since 1968. The Dolphins haven't won one since 1973. And I think when this year concludes, that, that record will still be there. Well, you know, on the, on the Sunday Mac and Jack and Jim football show last Sunday, we gave our predictions. Jim Jeffcoat, former two-time Super Bowl champion, has showed 12, year with the, 12 years with the Cowboys, three the Buffalo Bills. He's picking the Cowboys over the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. He's picking the You're Dolphins me. to go to the show. No, he's picking them to go to the show. And others who come on the show, Byron Williams, former Giant wide receiver who's an analyst on the show, he's picking the Jets to win it, if I'm not mistaken. Robert Engel is picking the uh, – Keith Engel on the show is picking the Jets to go to the Super Bowl. Myself personally, Frank, I think the Jets are going to have a nice year, go 11-6, and six, make the playoffs. I like the Cincinnati Bengals. I like them at the end of last year. And I think Joe Burrow is going to have a fantastic year. I know the contract is hanging over his head. There are concerns about his health. I think he's going to have a big year. And I think the Bengals beat Pax's Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. Okay. I love Jim Jeffcoat. But I can't believe that he's picking the Dolphins. I, there's no way I see either team getting there, and I wouldn't be surprised if they both miss the playoffs. My Super Bowl pick is, I think there's no doubt, as long as Jalen Hurts is not hurt, and I'm not an Eagles fan, but I think the Eagles run away with the NFC, and they represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. <laughs> in the AFC, Jack, it comes down to three teams. The Bills, the Bengals, and the Chiefs. I'm not going to go against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So I think the Super Bowl, much to my chagrin, is going to be a rematch between the Eagles and the Chiefs. And Jack, I hate to say it, but I think the Eagles win this one. Yeah, the Eagles seems to they seem to be loaded. Uh, getting to the Super Bowl is going to be harder in the AFC than the NFC. Absolutely. I even think a team like Mack, our producer, he's a big New York Giants fan. I think nine and eight gets a team in the playoffs in the NFC. And I think the Giants can go nine and eight this year and, you know, at least get a wild card berth. But what but when all said and done, Jack, don't you think the two well, – well, no, that's – I've seen the picks. Nobody really has the Niners going to the bowl. I think it's going to be the 49ers and the Eagles in the NFC Championship. Yeah, I uh, well, I, I like the NFC Championship. I like actually the Seattle Seahawks to win the division. And I like them to uh, lose to the Eagles in the NFC Championship. And the 49ers, they got Brock Purdy quarterbacking for them. And I'm not sold on him. Seventh round. No, we seven. haven't seen enough. What did he play? Eight games? Yeah, he played very well. Kudos to him. He did a great job managing games. And let's see what happens. Now, they're having problems with their kicking game. They're great tight end. I mean, they're great defensive end. Boza, he's holding out right now. Something seems to be a little off with the Niners. They'll be in the playoffs, and I'll make a serious run in it. But the Eagles look so stacked. I can't they see the so Seattle Seahawks talk with Geno Smith being the quarterback. Huh? I know uh, he played good last year, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't see that, Jack. And but I do think the NFC is much, much, it's much weaker than the AFC. The AFC teams, there are some teams that could jump up and surprise you. So I'm going to say, Eagles win the bowl beating the chiefs i'm going to say the dolphins if they make the playoffs they're out in the first round and tua will not start every game and as far as your jets i think they're going to have a good year i like aaron Rodgers, but you keep forgetting he's only 11 and 10 in the playoffs so i'm not sure he's the guy to take you to the promised land he's so focused aaron Rodgers. he's so happy he's going to plays with his teammates he says he loves to drive. Why do they have some? Why do they have a little bit of adversity? Well, but uh, they just will have a good year. But I don't think it, they're quite going to go to the Super Bowl. But they'll have their best year they've had in a while. So I think the fan base will be happy and they'll have an attitude. Okay, let's get them next year. 
Okay. So, okay, that basically sums it up, Frank, here. And, uh, okay, we look forward to the football season. And by the end of the month, Canelo fights Charlo, so we'll have a big match, you know, to go along with uh, NFL Sunday. Jack, it's been a great time. We'll be back next Thursday, a week. And thanks, everybody, for watching. And we'll see you next, next week. Thursday, we're changing the time for a number of weeks at least, okay? Right. By popular demand next Thursday. You'll put out the posts about it. Jack, Thursday. I'll do that. You know, it's funny. It might work to our advantage for a little bit because – there's not as many fights. We'll have we'll have more things to talk about maybe later in the week and closer to the preview since the fights will be on Saturday night. Sounds good. Okay, Frank. Good night. Until next week. See ya.